Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to episode 116 of Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Pudvay. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Matt Smith. Good afternoon. And Treg Toxic Ugly Guy Wilson. Peace. Deuces. So, guys, it's been a busy week. Lots of stuff has happened in the hockey world and at home. I'd like to take uh, this moment to mention very, something extremely important and very special. It's Matt's birthday. Happy birthday, Matt. Thank you Happy so much. birthday, Matt. Happy to be here. <laughs> you're you're what, 26 now? Something like that, yeah. 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 Ladies, he's single. A few more. A few more up, but yeah. He's he's young, he's employed, he's single. That Matt's is all true. That, that is all true. <laughs> <laughs> that he, sh- that he shares his works. birthday with my wife. Well, just saying. I think he's. I think Matt's winning because he's not married to you. I yeah, I'd give him that. But did he get a hotel night stay last night and a dinner at Baton Rouge? No. And a special made her way Harvey's burger. <laughs> that was today. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a point there. There's something to be said about Harvey's made your way. Now she thinks she runs the show. Like in that commercial there where Buddy's running the hockey practice because he got his burger made this way. <laughs> she did send me notes on production. Well, <laughs> anything will help. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> she is, her main note was, you need to cut out that one guy named Treg. To improve the show, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, all right, so enough uh, enough fluffing. Let's just jump into the show. Uh, 
the first topic, and I think our our followers and some of our listeners may have noticed, but uh, across our social media platforms, we've got a new logo. So, why don't you guys? What do you guys want to explain a little bit about it? Or, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, Habs unfiltered. Uh, as we all know, we used to have the CH with the Habs unfiltered in the middle. That's kind of not copyrightish allowed. So, uh, and kind of lazy. Yeah, and kind of lazy. So uh, we get uh, a graphic designer, Blaine. You can uh, plug him if you want. Yeah. Um, so the graphic designer's name is uh, David Delaroca. He's found on uh, Twitter as Design Locale, and for almost it was it was pennies on the dollar. the The amount he charged us to do this work was very small, and he did amazing. He did. He did. Uh, so if you see the logo, it's a poppy tabs unfiltered over top of it and as everyone knows who again follows us or listens to the show we're all part of the military two in the navy which actually counts and one in the air force which just kind of doesn't support group but uh (laughs) um anyway uh and if you know the uh canadians um what do you call it the uh their motto their motto is from flanders fields which is about poppies row and row so we uh, decided to uh, to do that, go with a poppy, and we think it pops. Ha ha! See what I did there? Mm. Um, and I hope yeah. everyone else likes it. So we uh, we didn't give David much to go on. He asked. He basically asked me what what we were looking for, and I told him, well, something with the Habs colors and a poppy. And then he threw this together in a in a couple of hours. Really, it didn't take him very much. Um, but what little work he did. I mean, he didn't put a lot of hours into it, but he did amazing work. I really love this new logo. I hope everybody enjoys it. So far, it's been nothing but positive. Um, and yeah, the, having the poppy is a big deal for us, especially me, uh, I don't know, as the elder statesman with the number of years in. And I mean, I, th- I think I cover off about half of the number of years that have been served between the three of us. 17 years tomorrow. Woohoo! Woo! 15 this fall. 28 <laughs> in a week and a half from now, in about three weeks from now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Once I get my walker started up for the day, then I can get moving around. But yeah, so I'd like to um, extend this thank you from all of us to David Delaroca, a design locale. And if anyone's looking for any work on uh, logos or anything like that, he also does hot spot, uh, hot sauce sports. You can uh, check out some of his work there, but yeah, if you need anything like that, contact him. He, great prices and an amazing talent. So thank you, David. Now moving on to something less fun, the Ottawa series. Montreal played Ottawa twice and for being near the very bottom of the NHL overall and at the very bottom of the North division, a lot of people were expecting easy wins. Um, I cautioned against that, calling it a trap game and saying that just be, and we've, I've been saying it since the start of the year, just because they're, they're not a very good team doesn't mean they're not going to keep games close. And what we saw in these two games was a well-coached team working extremely hard playing a very defensive style to keep games close so uh matt we're going to start off with you on your thoughts on this riveting exciting ottawa series (laughs) so you so you just hit the nail right on the head there um it was not exciting hockey to watch it was uh it was very defensive oriented it was a um this is the first time that the Canadians have seen a team that didn't try to push the pace. They tried to stay in the game or try to keep the game close. And that did change on the second game. They, in the third period, Ottawa was pushing a hell of a lot more and the Canadians were playing the more defensive side of it. Um, however, Treg, I want to blame you for this one. Um, you did say that uh, Ottawa was going to beat Montreal in one of these games. You did the same yeah. thing with the Calgary series, and that happens yeah. too. So as long as you just don't talk 
I think the Canadians are just going to win the rest of the win the rest of their games. I concur. Shut your uh, hole. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for being realistic. It's not but, allowed. But, but really, though, they they um, they went against a team that I'm not going to say they weren't prepared for, but I don't think that they were prepared for the system that they played. And it's something that they're just going to have to keep in the back of their minds for. Um, for the rest of the times that they're going to play them through the series. Um, overall, there were some guys that, that definitely stood out. I, I, I think that Josh Anderson was definitely their, their, their top, at least their top forward. Um, he was, he was buzzing. He took a, he took a, a cross check interference or whatever you want to call it from. Um, oh my God. Who, who hit him? Austin Watson. When they were on the power play and it went uncalled, he missed a little bit of time came back and then he just looked like he was a man possessed and he was all over the puck and he was throwing hits and turnovers, et cetera. And um, unfortunately they, uh, they didn't come away with a win that night, but they did pick up another shorthanded goal that gives them seven for the season, which was insane. Um, I think it, I think uh, it also demonstrated in this series, the importance of a guy like Jake Allen and Allen has he has been such a strong signing for the Canadians. Um, I'm just going to throw up his numbers really quick. He's played five games. He's got a 940 save percentage and a 1.81 goals against average. So you look at Carey Price's numbers. And I'm not saying this just to knock. To, I'm not saying this to knock Carey Price. Um, Carey Price through seven games. He's four one and two. So they're both they're both getting the Canadians points. So I'm not I said I'm not knocking Carey Price. I'm just doing this as a comparison. Um, but he's got an eight nine nine save percentage and a two point eight one goals against average. So is Carey Price still the starter? Absolutely. There's no there's no um, controversy here. There's no nothing. Allen knew a couple days before that he was going to get this start. So it's not just because Price lost against uh, the Sens on Thursday. So anybody that's saying anything on social media about that, Alan already came out and said, I knew I was going to play. Everyone could pump the brakes. I think, um, uh, I think we, we owe uh, big kudos to the coaching staff on this yeah. because they came up with the plan before the season on basically where they're going to put each goaltender starts. And they stuck to this plan. It, it yeah, it would have been a nice to give price a start so he can get going but he's notoriously a slow starter. Um, so he's four, one and two. It's not like it. It's not like he isn't gutting them out. Thankfully with some help from his teammates for a change. Um, so having Allen, having such a hot start to support price is exactly what they wanted when they got him. So I think it's kudos to the coaching staff for following their plan and looking further ahead than just the next game. Yeah. And they said that they were going to do that, and that's what that, and they've stuck to that plan. Um, another thing I'll bring up really quick before I pass it over to you guys, they uh, they also talked about Victor Mete. And who? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Drake's favorite. And um, oh, that's right. yeah. they, um, they, they, they talked about their rotation of defenders, and they said at this time they're happy with the six that they have. And they haven't forgot about them, but right now they're going to keep that core six together. And I think that's honestly, I think that's the best, uh, the best for the defense group, because if you take Romanov out, you take out a guy that can kill penalties and be on the power play. Um, Mete's not good on the power play and he can't kill penalties. And if you take out Kulak, Kulak's not a power play guy, but you can put him out for the power or for the PK every now and then, if need be, especially if a defenseman takes a penalty. And um, he's just more reliable. He does take some really terrible penalties at the time. We saw that during the Ottawa series, but things happen, right? I, I'd still trust him. I'd still trust him over Metin. Um, but yeah, my, my final thoughts on the on the on the uh, on that series. They picked up two points. It wasn't a pretty series. Some some players shined a hell of a lot more than others. Um, I think Deneau is starting to get 
his wheels turning a little bit more and he had his chances. And I think it's just a matter of time before he pots one, he can throw the monkey off his back. And um, at least his, at least his line is driving the play. They're not playing a lot in their own zone. And um, like I said, we saw some good things. If we can get to fully um, scoring against other team uh, against teams other than Vancouver, I think we've got a real winner here. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm I'm happy with the series. Like, they, yes, they lost a game, but we knew going into this season they weren't going to win. They weren't going to go 56 and 0. Even though it would be it would be perfect to be awesome to see. Yeah, we're not Toronto. We're real. We're, right, we're realistic, right? So. Um, their next game's up against Toronto on Wednesday. So they've got a nice little break. It gives them more of a break for Carey Price. And um, we'll, we'll see you then, right? Now, Treg, what about you? What do you, uh, what, what's I, your uh, Debbie Downer view here? I thought this was the two worst games they played all year. Um, I actually thought they played better Thursday than they did Saturday. Um, but it just seemed Thursday once they lost the game in 30 seconds. It was really just that 30 seconds that changed the whole momentum of the game. And I mean, you can blame Carey Price all you want, but that Shabbat goal under Gallagher was a perfectly aimed shot right off the post it in. No, nobody was getting that. No one was stopping that one. I don't think Price had a great game Thursday night. Don't, I'm not trying to poof him up, but that goal in particular was no one was stopping that now the Stutzel goal and okay sure but I mean Montreal didn't give him much help either the the offense Ottawa played the neutral clogged the neutral zone and Montreal couldn't get their speed going to get out uh Anderson Watson Watson uh, thought Anderson was a woman so he hit him and then uh, uh he wasn't married to him though well I don't think it matters to him um Anyway, it woke the bear. That shot he had for the shorthanded goal was just right on. Um, <laughs> I just said what I said, didn't I? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. I think Ottawa outplayed Montreal for two games, and Montreal just showed that they were a deeper team than Ottawa. And, and Matt Murray played on his head. I'm not a Matt Murray fan. I think Matt Murray is one of the most overrated goalies in hockey. But uh, and I tweeted out Montreal's going to lose to the worst goalie in the game, and uh, for two games he outplayed them. Um, Allen played well in the second game, and I'm glad you guys brought up that they have a scheduled plan for their goalies and they're sticking to it. It's not a uh, one because I mean if you go on Facebook right now, Price is the worst goalie that ever hit the hit the ice according to Habs fans. After right? every loss, it's always the same. Yeah, and uh, you know what? Come playoff time, you're going to be glad you got Price in the Nets. That's all I got to say. And anyone who's talking about getting rid of Price right now, just look back to see how Allen's how Allen's stats are as a starter compared to a backup. Allen is one of those goalies who's better off playing 20 to 25 games a season and playing you know once a week or once every 10 days as opposed to playing every other night. So. You can nip that narrative in the bud right now. Allen's not taken. The only thing we got to worry about Allen now is how Seattle sees him for the expansion draft. That's the only thing we should be worrying about Allen right now. And if I'm Bergevin, I'm looking at trying to, I'm already thinking about the deal that I have to make with Seattle to keep yeah. him. Because this tandem right now is, is it's really working. And I think as the season progresses, we're going to see how important his role has become. And no, it's not a deal to send Carey Price to Seattle so they can take his contract. Um, and, and just before someone about, says it. Just my little tidbits on the Mete thing. I knew from the start the two games were just, uh, all right, Mete. I think it was just a Virgin, Virgin and Julian saying, all right, you want to play? Show us what, See you, what got. you got. Yeah. Show us what you will give. We'll give you two games. Show us what you got. If And and I'm not going to bash Mete, but he. I don't think he played terrible. I don't think he played great either. I just he think, just didn't, he didn't do anything to secure the spot. It was his it, time to shine, and right. he didn't. Yeah. If it wasn't the fact that it was his first games of the season, we probably never would have heard his name at all. Probably not. No, it's and he wouldn't to, have gotten in. He probably wouldn't have gotten in had he not bitched and moaned through his agent. I, why? And it's like Matt said, they're happy with the six they got. He's their seventh defenseman, and the team owns all the cards here. They own all the cards. They don't have to trade him if they don't want him. All right. If he 
sister says, well, I'm sitting out. I'm not playing. All right. We'll bring Ouellette up to sit on the taxi squad. We don't care. Like, and, we, and they still own his rights as he's an RFA. That's right. So even in the end of the season, they have still have a hold all the cards because they're like, well, we hold your rights. So you want to be a dick about this and we'll just, we'll just make your life miserable. Let's trade you to Columbus. Or if he <laughs> plays that kind of hardball where he decides to go home, they can put him on a suspension and it's in it. Uh, it pauses the length of time the Canadians own his rights. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that, but there you go. And, and I'm saying, and it's not like they don't have an Ouellette or a Fleury who can come in and I'd rather Ouellette because I'd rather yeah. Fleury play in Laval, but yeah. an Ouellette or Fleury to sit on that taxi squad. You know, I think like, Ouellette would be a perfect option if you, you got rid of Mete some, for some reason or he leaves. I personally don't think Ouellette's much worse than Mete is. It's just a different style of hockey. That's and they just... can honestly not care less what happens with Wallet if he stays or goes afterwards. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's the captain of the Laval Rocket, and they want him in Laval to act in that leadership role. That's, that's essentially why they got him. Yeah. He provides great play at the AHL level and leadership and experience, and he can mentor the younger guys. That's where his main value is. But if they lose Bete for whatever reason... Yeah, I don't see them caring too much if Wadette sits there for 12 games straight. But they they know for a fact that if he does and they throw him out on game 13, he'll give them everything he has in that game. Yeah, They don't have to worry about that. And he'll do it as a professional without any complaining. And he'll play his 10 minutes and yeah. Play the best you can. Is he going to be great? Probably not. He's going to be he, good enough. Hey, I didn't. Fu- I didn't think he was that bad in the playoffs. To be honest with you, no, he, he was okay. He was okay. Right, like for a for, for a third pairing defenseman. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't see any major rush on the Canadians, like you said, with uh, in regards to Mete. Uh, for me, the 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 series. Yeah, it, it was probably the most boring hockey you could possibly imagine. Other than like, the tr- other than the first game that Toronto played Edmonton, that was probably the worst game I've seen. That was terrible. That was, ter- that was really bad. When the players were talking about how bad it was and they were apologizing, yeah, I think you can say that it was bad. Yeah, but for for the Canadian season, that's probably the two <laughs> most boring games we've seen. It was like watching the Devils from the late nineties. It was well, just. Someone on this show mentioned it'd be a trap game. So I'm not going to name any names because he's going to point himself out. (laughs) Admiral Akbar, let it know, let it be known it was going to be a trap. It was a total trap game. When the Canadians showed up to that first game on Thursday, yeah, they played, they played pretty well, you know, but they were, they were playing on autopilot. They didn't put in that extra effort. So what Ottawa played a hard trap game. Didn't even play a left wing lock, you know, where they they provide a funnel for you to to move to. It was just five across, just grinding the game down to a slow, slogging, muddy, disgusting level. It was terrible. But that's exactly what Ottawa Senators need. They need to keep the pace down so that their guys can finish their hits and make the, make life hard on everybody on the other side and they did exactly that now the canadians were able to generate scoring chances uh, i think they had something like 20 or 25 in the first game and they were still capable of making another 15 to 20 in the second game as opposed to ottawa's four or five per game so that ottawa's not producing high event offense but they were they were able to score on the few chances they had so they got they got a little bit lucky they got a little bit you know when you got guys like stutzel there's some there's a lot of skill there right so they were able to get a couple of goals off the few chances they had and the canadians generated a lot of chances but they weren't really the same quality that they were having before because uh, what some people may not have noticed was that murray despite playing very well his life was made easy because the Canadians put nothing in front of him. I mean, even Gallagher wasn't there as often as he normally is because he was being boxed out, held, dragged down, cross-checked. No penalties on any of the plays, by the way. 
Uh, it was just it was just the one on just the one on Brandstrom, which I thought was a little bit soft, but it was soft. If my if Ma- if, should not have been called for if that. Matthews is playing in this series, man, he'd be in a he'd be in a coma by now, apparently, according to his agent. So oh, there'd be a GoFundMe page for his next of kin. Oh yeah. I but, personally uh, didn't think the refereeing was terrible. I mean, it was, oh, it was terrible. Consistent. It, it was, was very consistent. consistent. Terrible for both sides, I thought. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, it, was, but, yeah. uh, it was pretty hard to watch at times. So, especially so, that one. Especially that boarding boarding call against oh. Tatar. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> However, I, I, did, I, I did post on, on Twitter that I hope that there's a GoFundMe page for Good Bransom's next of kin. Uh, Thoughts and prayers. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I do want to put props out to my boy Druin for making uh, Kachuk look like an idiot on that check he tried to lay on him. Oh, man, that that jump uh, the second game when he did the little jump pass when he was going one on five. Yeah, that was nice. And then he came in for a hip check or a big hit. He just kind of scooted around him and then he chucked sliding into the boards by himself. Yeah. So, but uh, he was trying to twerk on ice and then just went into the boards. (laughs) (laughs) But back to my point on the Canadians' uh, play. Uh, they were they got no traffic to the front of the net, so Murray saw absolutely everything. So it's a, it's a lot easier for a goalie to make a stop if he sees it. So if you don't have traffic in front of the net, you're you're not putting in a second effort along the boards. So the, the Canadians were losing a lot of one on one battles all over the ice. They were being outworked and out hustled. That was a major reason why. Yeah, the they, Canadians had a, a 22 scoring chances based on expected goals for, based, based on where they shot from and how many they got. But when a goalie sees it, that expected goals for doesn't really matter much because he'll stop it. And when you're losing puck battles, how many more pos- uh, probable chances could you have generated had you put in that second effort? I mean... Through, up until that series, the Canadians were winning a lot of their battles and it was causing a lot of odd man rushes. Even down low, they'd get a two on a, a two on one or a three on two down low based on the cycle game or go, the transition game. They'd have a ton of breakaways, a ton of three on twos, ton of two on ones. In this series, they got maybe two total odd man rushes. And it paid off in the second game, didn't it? Because Anderson scored the winning goal. That was the difference. It's that second effort and that that desire to go to the front of the net. I, they have to outwork the opposition to get to those areas. And Ottawa did a good job boxing out. So that made this series probably the hardest one for the Canadians so far this year. They, uh, they weren't getting any rebounds either. Like you said, there's no one in front of the net. Uh, they did have scoring chances, but to me, I didn't think everyone said Murray had a great game. I think he had a good game, but he didn't have to, like you said, he didn't have to work very hard. Like he saw the nope. pucks. There was no real, uh, what I say scoring chances, there was no real save that he made that robbed anyone of a goal. Really. In my opinion. Because he saw the plays develop. He followed, the, he was able to see everything happen. He tracked it and he stopped yeah. it and he made it look easy. And I found the second game, same with Allen. I don't think Allen had a hard, he had 34 shots, but I don't think he had a hard game. I don't he think he made a there couple was a, of nice saves. Just a couple of nice but, saves, but nothing really where he, I think that one where he was flopping around and lost his stick and he, I think he got one off his blocker. Yeah. But other than that, he didn't really, and I'm not knocking Allen. Don't get me wrong. I played a solid game, but. I find that he, um, he played the puck really well. Yeah. And he taught, or he really, he, if 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 he didn't have any um, real pressure on him, he got the puck up really quick and and back up the ice. And and the post was an issue too on both sides. Um, yeah. Canadians had a few, and so did Ottawa. So it could have been a much more high scoring game on both sides. But you're talking about second, third chances, etc. That ended up leading to the to the winning goal. Is it was a it was a Suzuki shot first, then Drouin shot second, and then Anderson cleaned it up. So the, that's how the Canadians need to play. The second efforts, they yeah. put in the effort on that shift and it generated scoring chances and fi- and finally a goal because the Canadians have, a uh, they, they have added skill now than they've had more than they've had in the past, but they're still not, they're still not like uh, Edmonton and Toronto where they have these guys that can score almost at will from almost anywhere because they have these unreal shots. 
Well, Anderson and Toffoli are one and two kind of in the scoring race. But they got all, ahead now, but but they've gotten their goals based on yeah. second effort. Correct. Yep. More more work than skill, except that one Toffoli goal where he toe dragged, went between his legs, <laughs> and then backhand. Oh, chef's chef's kiss. I mean, yeah. well, you look at on. their you look at their seventeen goals combined, and two of them have been scored on the power play. Yeah. So. And but, I think uh, and, and three of them have been scored shorthanded. But this is a lesson for the Canadians to take with them. They have a few days off. They're going to have a couple of uh, practices. This is stuff they have to work on. Uh, I would fully expect to see in a Claude Julian practice, probably on Monday morning, because they're going to give uh, probably get Sunday off. Uh, battle drills, one-on-one battle drills in the corners and in front of the nets, and special teams. I want to get into the special teams a little bit, like the power play. You've mentioned it now, guys. Uh, when the season started, they were at about 30%, which was good for about fourth place in the league. They've dropped to 14th now. As of today, they're in 14th. They're at about 22.2%. So there's some work that needs to be done. They're making some minor adjustments. Now, the game against Ottawa on Saturday afternoon, the power play was able to stay in the zone and generate some shots on net couple of scoring chances so at least it built a bit of momentum but on thursday it it was it sapped their energy now i know there's been a lot of talk of moving uh weber away from the top power play unit but i think we covered this before i i I fully believe that it doesn't matter where you put weber the important thing with weber is that the four other players don't defer to him just for a shot he should be there as a, as one of the weapons, not the only freaking weapon. Right. I, I understand. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, they did move him to the second pairing on the game on Saturday. Uh, I think he should be used more as a decoy than anything. Um, yep. I think another issue that the the power play has is everybody wants to pass to everybody else. Uh, it's almost like they don't have anyone that wants to take the shot. Um, you mentioned it a couple times, Blaine. They need to use uh, Weber to free up the slot in the the high slot there and in front of the net because every time they think it's going to go to Weber, that guy leaves the slot and comes up to, uh, you know, to basically cut off Weber from the shot. That leaves to Foley wide open standing right there. We all know what kind of shot to Foley has. Um but I find guys like Druin and Suzuki and even Romanov when he's out there, they always just, they're always looking to pass to someone and you can see it. You can see that they're not going to shoot. So right then and there, you're taking two or three guys off the power play that that defense cause, well, he's not shooting. So I'm going to look for the pass every time he has it. And I think even if they, I don't know, change it up and everyone's just start shooting from everywhere for a couple of power plays, even if you don't score, you're going to make that, penalty kill think oh wait a minute we don't really know where this shot's coming from now because they've been shooting from everywhere so they're going to overthink and overplay the player not knowing what they're going to do yeah, the whole weber the whole weber thing is 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 just what you guys said it's it's don't be that predictable yeah. if you if everyone knows it's going to him and the, the thing that kind of irks me and you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't is when it's they try to load up that shot and they make the pass over and he passes it back and he's like nope that's not the one and then they do yeah. it again. No, that's not the one. It's like, well, everyone's just kind of like just sitting back and they're like, okay, well, we're just, we're, we're just going to wait for you to get the one you want. We're going to clog the lane and and then we're going to see what happens. It's either going to break somebody, go in the net or or, it's, or whatever else. He's, right? been missing, so. he's been missing the net more than anything lately, to be honest. That's been you. a problem. If you're gonna if you're gonna set him up for that big heavy shot, he got at least from hit the that net. bumper spot from that uh, that OV spot. He's got to yeah. hit the net, yeah, or hit somebody, something. Yeah, because if he misses the net, it's that's right going back together, rimming yeah. around the boards and going right back out the zone. Yeah. But for um, me, the additions of um, like having Perry out there, I think it's helped. I I, I think uh, I think he's um, I think he's done. Um, 
I think he's done a pretty good job. I can't see. I, I don't really have any complaints of having him out there. My one complaint is, and I know people are going to get pissy when I say this, is Kakaniemi's shot selection and pass selection on the power play sometimes. Sometimes I think he just um, he's trying to play a little bit too much on fast forward. Oh my god, what's wrong with you? And he's either getting the puck off his stick too quick, and it's either just the shot is going nowhere, or he makes the pass that's you know ten feet in front of somebody else. He's, he's rushing the play. He is rushing the play. You are talking about baby eagle, and how dare you? <laughs> how dare you say that about a twenty-year-old? future Habs God. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. But uh, the thing I bothers me, you know, KK does it a lot, is this blind backhand pass that everyone... Remember I used to complain about this, about Druin? Druin's biggest issue. And it, I find Druin stopped doing that. But Suzuki and KK's bad for it uh, have started doing this blind back pass going nowhere, which just kills the play. Um I think KK is going to come around. I think Hot Yami is going to come around just for the simple fact that the coaches are going to work with him. People, Toffoli and them are going to work with him. He does have a bad shot. He always seems to want to pass. And then when he shoots, it always seems to be at the wrong time. Uh, he always, If he shoots, he's trying to shoot through traffic, too much traffic. It just hits someone's shin pads and goes somewhere or he misses the net or he's been looking so long to pass it that he can't find a pass and finally decides to shoot. And there's already somebody there. Well, um, they've moved him into the bumper spot there on that second wave. And I think that's yeah. a good spot for him. He's got a great shot. He's just rushing the shot. Exactly. Um, yeah. The, I've noticed a lot on the power play too. The guys we talked to, you guys talked a little bit about the passing it around, passing it around, trying to set up Weber, but uh, most of the passes are kept to the outside. They're not getting anything into the middle. They're not getting passes cross, uh, cross ice. The whole point is to try and get, the box to move and to shift and to generate that shooting lane. So if you can get puck movement to the point where you actually get them to cheat over to one side, or you open up a little bit of a shooting lane, that's what you want. And they've had it happen a couple of times and the guys haven't taken that shot because they're still trying to set up that one play. Um, and, and that's what the power plays for. It's a, all about taking your shot. And speaking of taking your shot, our sponsors at Manscaped want to remind us that Valentine's Day is upon us, fellas. Make sure you're ready for whatever the night may take you. Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, are here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day. Two million men are already turning, uh, trusting Manscaped products to groom. Make sure you're one of them. Your girl can't, can't think of what you can get this year? Well, tell her to get the gift that's for you and for her. The best way to get started is with the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0, full of the best products to keep you looking, smelling, and feeling nice. The Perfect Package 3.0 is led by their revolutionary third-generation lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which has advanced skin-safe technology and features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It's also waterproof, which prevents a mess on the bathroom floor and in the sink especially when it's time for Cupid to shoot his arrow. And let's be real. We've smelled the worst down there before. That's why I'm thankful for their crop preserver and crop reviver. These products keep our boys from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood, if you know what I mean. The Perfect Factors 3.0 also comes with a pair of Manscaped boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those overused pair of boxers to Manscaped, high-performance anti-chafing boxers. Easily the comfiest boxers I've ever had. And complete your grooming game with the new Refined Cologne Signature Scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. This is the perfect package for your perfect package. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. Happy Valentine's Day from Habs Unfiltered and Manscaped. 
Oh, I had my Manscaped nice? boxers on last night. Why were you wearing boxers? Well, I always oh, it's her birthday and you were in another room. I get it. I get it. It takes a lot more to manscape to get anyone to sleep with this guy. Okay, so we've got a room. We've got a room with two queens. Is that okay? <laughs> Tina'd be like, "That's okay." <laughs> two rooms would be better. Hell, let's leave him at me, home. But he's taking me to Baton Rouge, so I don't want to take all his money. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who's going to be by himself at home with his manscape boxers. Oh. <laughs> you know it <laughs> you know it thank you ontario pandemic <laughs> think of the money he's gonna save right true, true. <laughs> so uh speaking of penalty killing the habs pk we'll uh, move on from chirping treg and his manscaping issues to uh the canadians penalty killing issues so they did have some problems with their penalty kill, not just in this series, but the one just before. Uh, they're still having some issues, right? They're um, Now, our friend and friend of the show, Jason Paul, was on TSN the other day and mentioned that um, the Canadian's penalty kill is using what he calls a power kill. So all the praise that Lekkonen's been getting for being up ice and pressuring people up ice. And we've seen other forwards doing the same. That's, that's what he's calling the power kill. And what he mentioned on TSN is exactly what I've seen on the ice as well. The penalty kill once in the defensive zone doesn't look any different than what they had in previous seasons. It's still not, it's still too static and still too easy to get to open up. Um, I wish they would take a lot of uh, a lot of the issues that they had in the Ottawa series were that those second efforts and with the depth they have, why not put in that extra, that extra hustle. So you can, because you can change out and put another power penalty kill wave out there. It'll be just as effective. So put in that extra hustle and attack the puck carrier, force these guys be on them relentlessly that you get on them, you, you clear the zone, then you make a change and then you can have fresh legs out there. If they did that, I think they would be a little bit more successful than what they're doing now. They're very static and they're allowing these guys to move the puck almost at will. They're not getting as many cross ice passes as they used to get, but has it really mattered because they're giving up a power play goal per game. They might, they're scoring a shorthanded goal almost per game, but they're still giving up a power play goal. You can't rely on your, your, uh, your penalty kill to provide as much offense as you give up on the, on the penalty kill. Now, um, Treg, have you, what, what have you noticed with this? Uh, nothing really different. They're very passive. They, they, it's almost like, all right, we're on the power play. We're just going to skate right back, get in our box and wait for them to come in. Uh, whereas the beginning of the season, they'd attack. Mind you, I found Saturday to know them Suzuki did kind of, uh, in the after the first power play goal, anyway, did go into the offensive zone and the puck was deep in Ottawa's zone. Tried to do that four check. I think Kate uh, Suzuki took the puck away a couple times, but I find a lot of the time they just sit back and wait for the team to come in. And once they come in, it's you're absolutely right. They just kind of stick in that box, put their sticks out, and you know, let's hope nothing gets through. Let's hope nothing. And I agree with you. They got to start attacking the puck. They got to force the puck a carrier to make a move before he wants to make the move. So uh, if you're not doing that, then it's just a matter of him waiting for someone to get into the right position and getting the pass over there. Um, I, I, I find it funny that they have seven shorthanded goals and something like 12 power play goals against or so I don't know what the power play goals against number is, but it's almost even. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's ironic because it kind of wipes out the power play goal, but you still don't want power play goal scored. They lost on a power play goal Thursday night, basically, because, uh, I mean, they lost 3-2, but really the power play goal was the one that drove the stake into the heart of the Canadians at the end of the game. And they just can't uh, – it's almost like they fixed the cross-seam pass thing that they had an issue with for the last few years, and now they have an issue with actually, you know – breaking up the play of the, of the power play. Uh, the whole idea of the penalty killers is to get the power play off their game 
and uh, uh, take the passes away. And they just seem to let them pass it around at will and just sit back and wait for a shot and hope it doesn't go in. And yeah, um, we can't have nice things. We can't have both a good power play and a bat and a good pit penalty kill. It seems like we have one or the other. Right now, we kind of have two mediocre ones. So we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that works out. You're muted. You're muted. Blaine, you're muted. But he's pretty. Look at him. <laughs> no, uh, I'll give you a couple of seconds there, Matt, So you, before I introduce the next segment. Yeah, sure. Um, really quickly, you talked about power play goals against. Uh, they let up 11. They scored seven shorthanded goals. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so my thoughts on this, you brought it up with Suzuki pressuring, et cetera. Um, so that pressure actually led to a penalty against Shabbat. And that killed that power play. So that that was very good work from Suzuki, and uh, we've seen the the uh, this power um, penalty kill throughout the season. And I think what their what their plan of attack is is not let them get into the uh, past the blues the past the blue uh, past the blue line. And uh, we've seen when they've done that and they've pressured the offensive players coming in that they've been successful but it just seems that when they get into the zone, they're way too passive. And yeah. sometimes we see they'll set up their box and it's more of like, okay, this guy, okay, now I'm going to follow this guy with the puck. And that's just the one guy kind of going instead of the whole box moving as a collective to, to get into lanes and, and that kind of stuff. As you, as you said, they've, they've eliminated for the most part that, that cross seam pass, which is fantastic, but they're getting beat in other ways. And um, I think it's going to be something that's going to uh, improve when you bring in a guy like Armia, when you, when you get him back in the lineup, he's a very, very, very good penalty killer. And I think we're going to see uh, them take the, the next step forward when he's back and healthy, which he has been skating with, with, uh, uh, with the trainer. He's, hasn't the last couple days due to flu-like symptoms it hasn't been anything to do with with his concussion and it looks like he's going to um, possibly join the team as early as tomorrow yeah so once he's um, once he's practicing with the team we can expect him back within a day or two so that'll make a decision on uh, that'll make the choice on perry pretty simple he has to return to the taxi squad as he was an emergency call up and then from there who knows if he's the one they put down yeah he has to be he was the emergency call-up. So he has to go to the – oh, yeah, yeah. they'd have to bring him down and bring him back up. That's right. To keep him on the team. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he doesn't have to go through waivers, right? No. No, 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 no. No. Because no. he was an emergency call-up. That doesn't okay. – it, it negates that part of it. Yeah. Um, so, so they can put him on the taxi squad, bring him back up within the same day. And, yep. Or – the day after or something. Yeah. yeah just need a depending on cap and depending yeah. on what else they do, they do choose to do. But sure. yeah, that's uh, you'll see a couple of uh, paper transactions that once army is back yeah. uh, in practicing on the, uh, with the squad. Um, the next, uh, the last segment we're going to, we're going to cover here. It's going to be pretty quick um, prospects. So the Canadians, I know sh- it's shocking, still have some pretty good prospects out there. Um, no. Bergevin failed at uh, going all in and he kept all his top picks and all his top prospects and made the team better. What a schmuck. So let's talk about those prospects that Bergevin didn't trade away. Jerk face. So um, (laughs) So you go go ahead, Matt. I've got three that I want to really quickly touch on. Um, I'll start with. uh, Don't. Hey, is that. It's the Me Too movement. You're not touching yeah. on these prospects, like. <laughs> so I'll start with uh, I'll start with uh, Luke Tuck. He's playing for uh, Boston University, and so far oh, eight, Tuck's up now, right? Uh, yeah. So far, eight games in, he's got seven points. Had a so two goal night last you know, night. Yeah. So as for you know, yeah. for a guy that's just starting out his uh, his career in the NCAA, I'm looking. He's he's looking pretty. He's looking pretty damn good. Or hockey, East, whatever the hell you want to call it, right? So. Um, He's lo- he's looking very good. He's he's looking like that power player that uh, the Canadians wanted wanted to get, 
he plays a lot like his brother is just a hell of a lot more physical. So it looks like uh, Bergevin got a, got a nice piece in the, uh, the second round last year. That that's a kid that in about uh, it'll take him about four years. He'll probably play the full four years at NCAA then move up. So in about four, four and a half seasons, we're going to see uh, tuck in the NHL and in a top nine role. I don't know if he'll ever become a top six player, but if he can play 15 minutes a game, throwing, uh, throwing hits and potting 10 to 15 goals a year, that's a win of a pick. Uh, next one I'll jump into really quick. Um, Sean Farrell. Uh, this was a guy that um, Cole Caulfield was very high on. Said that he was a steal when the Canadians drafted him. Um, fourth round, 124th overall. And he's leading the USHL in scoring right now with uh, 52 points, including 18 goals in just 26 games. That's it. Uh, last year, he, I believe he <laughs> led the league in assists with 41 in 44 games. So he put up in 44 games last year, he had 56 points. This year, in, in 26, he's got 52 points. He's putting up two points a game. Just two? I mean, so he's looking, uh, he's looking like a, a definite steal, even though, yes, he is playing in a league that is below his talent, which if you want to touch on that, you can blame. Well, he was supposed to go to the NCAA this year, but with everything that was going on and the number of um, people under scholarship at his college, he was probably better off to stay right where he was getting yes. as much playing time as he possibly can. Is he supposed uh, to go to Harvard? Yes. Yeah. Now, they're, he's going to be there next year. All this does is just delays his entry into the NCAA. But at the same time, it provides him the opportunity to play a ton more hockey than he would have had he gone to Harvard. So I don't see this as a, as a negative. All it does is just shows that he has progressed his game to the point where he's dominating at the level he's in, and then he's going to move up to the next level the next season and start over again. Dominate the level you're in, move up, dominate, move up, dominate, move up. It's, it's a, he was a fourth round, a late fourth round pick. I don't think anyone's expecting him to end up in the NHL, but if he does all the better. So why no need to rush this kid. There's no need to be panicked about him. Everything's fine. Just let him go. And in a pandemic, when you get ice time, take the ice time. The the only thing I'll say about it, and just uh, is that uh, I, I it'll be interesting to see what his NCAA numbers will be when he's playing at the level that he's probably should be at. If he continues to be a point per game guy or around that, then if then you're looking at oh what that this was a steal as of right now he definitely looks like a steal he's i've i mean blaine you hit the nail on the head i've always said you need to dominate the league you're in in order to move to up to the next league he's definitely doing that he's more than dominating he's obliterating that league right now and it just goes to show that he deserves to be at the next level and that he should be at the next and he should find some success at the next level so Harvard's going to be happy with him when he gets there. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last one I'll talk about is obviously uh, Cole Caulfield. He's um, this is a guy. You're, we obviously you're talk making about a big a reach to the top shelf on that one. Yeah, Did you put a yeah. step stool up for him to get there? Yeah. Like we talk about him a lot. Canadians fans talk about him a lot, but I don't feel that he gets the credit that he should get from everywhere, everywhere else. If this was a, Toronto first round pick. This is all we'd ever hear about Toronto fourth round pick even. Exactly. And um, I believe that Caulfield is, has really taken the next step in his game. Um, currently leading the NCAA in scoring with uh, 33.17 goals. Those 17 goals also lead the league. Um, he's third in assists. So people say that he can't make plays. Oh, he's third in assists, so he's he's doing okay. Um, surprising, though, he's only got three game-winning goals, but he's taking 100 shots, which he also scores, leads the, which also leads the league. 
He scores a lot of his goals on the power play too. I think yes. uh, ten of his seventeen have been on the power play, if I'm not mistaken. Which is which is wrong. which is okay to have. Yeah. Right. The guy is he has um, he's fixed different aspects of his game. He's more committed to the defensive side. He's playing the body a little bit more, even though he's as as Blaine said, he's a step stool pretty much anything that he does in his life. But um, this is a guy that. Um, more people should be talking about Canadians fans should definitely be excited about. And um, this is somebody I believe we could see in Laval very, um, very soon. Now I just finished writing and it's in, it's in editing right now at the hockey writers, a story about Cole Caulfield being ready for that step. And I did a little bit of research on it just to make sure I was correct. And I think I'm right. You know, most people do when they put out opinions, they think they're right. But um, you mentioned his stats this year, 33 points in 20 games. That's a 1.65 point per game pace, which was it's 65% increase over last year's point per game pace. And on top of that, he's playing defense too. He's able to play defensively properly. He is dedicated to that defensive prospect. He's dedicated to adding that, that, tool, uh, that tool to his toolbox. Um, at the World Juniors, uh, fans were disappointed because he only got five points in seven games in a gold medal team. What they failed to notice was that <clears throat> his, his entire game had morphed and he became more of a two-way player. So he was in a top six role, which is correct for him. And he, he was playing a two-way game. He And what they'll notice is that the offense that he generated during that tournament was during transitional play, which if you're a Habs fan, you'll notice the style eerily similar to the Canadians. Um, and when he was on the power play with, uh, with Team USA, he wasn't used in his proper, in the roles that he is best suited for. But his, he was able to generate plays and create plays with his playmaking ability. So he may not have gotten assists on all the plays, but he opened up these passing lanes. He created these openings. And guys like Zegris and others benefited. Yeah, those guys are great players. But fans shouldn't be too down on, on Caulfield just because he only got five points in seven games on a stacked gold medal team. Oh my God. But I think he's ready to make that jump. He's ready to make the jump to the pros. And uh, I reported this on hockey news, uh, hockey news on the hockey writers. Uh, Brian wild also reported on uh, call of the wild at the end of the season. Um, Caulfield is going to sign his entry level contract. So everything depends on when it happens. So his team is second right now in its conference, ranked 11th in the country. Uh, the Big Ten conference playoffs are at the end of March, and the final four, or the, four the Frozen Four, uh, end around mid-April. So he can sign anywhere in there in that two-week span. That'll leave about 14 games in the NHL. We're not sure about the AHL right now because they haven't released the exact schedule for the Canadian division. We don't know yet. So not sure how many games are left there, but I think Caulfield can step in uh, if he's if he's insulated properly in a third line role with the Canadians, play a power play role. Which let's be honest, the power play needs some help. Uh, a shooter like him would help. If he doesn't play in the NHL, great, go to the uh, go to Laval, play under Bouchard for the rest of the season, play there until it's done, then come up as a black ace. Why not? And then next year, jump right in. Uh, I, I'm not I'm I mean you guys said it all there's not much to say uh but uh I don't know if I'm saying his name right uh Boosie Maine uh Bucci Maine yeah Bucci Maine he uh was saying about Caulfield 70 goals in 20 games and his two years so far he, he believes he's a Hobie Baker favorite and I don't see why well, he's he right now be. top three yeah uh in 56 games over the last two seasons 36 goals, 33 assists for 69 points. So Meh. like we said, if you dominate one 
And we, he had a slow start, I think, this season to to the season, to the NCAA season. Sure, he didn't get the points everyone wanted him to in the World Junior Championship, but points aren't everything. And he's proven that he is ready to go to the next level. Uh, Wisconsin was definitely a they were a one line team as well to start the year because Dylan Holloway was taken away for yeah. Team Canada, and their coach bitched about it, of course, and. Um, it, it really brought that team to like a one-dimensional team. If Caulfield's line wasn't scoring or they weren't pushing the offense, they weren't doing anything. And we said it a couple times and I kind of made fun of Jenny a few times saying that her team was terrible. And now since Caulfield's back and Holloway's back, et cetera, now they're going on this tear. So, well, uh, he's on a 12, uh, Caulfield's on a 12 game scoring street. He just scored six points against the second ranked team in the league in the last two games. So, and they beat them eight to one last night. So, uh, and this, you're absolutely right. One player basically came back into the, under the team. And now you have a totally different team. Um, Well, they also played a half dozen games with 12 skaters. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) If you've ever played with 12 skaters, you know how hard that is. Now imagine that against a team that has its full bench and you're playing at that level of uh, competitive hockey. It's it's ridiculous. So my thing on Caulfield, and this is I won't take long, is uh, I would like to see him for a couple of games in Montreal. It's it's coming. Management's pretty much said he's going to come to the not necessarily Montreal, but it's, uh, with the organization. I don't see right now where he's going to fit in. We'll have to see at the end of the year how Montreal plays it out. Um, just for the simple fact that if everyone's playing the way they're playing now near the end of the year who's he going to replace Byron? So I'm going to, th- something we can talk about next show, but uh, uh, I, I would love to see him a year with Bouchard just to see how well he does in Laval and how much Bouchard can improve what he's Tony Granado's already improving in on his game with the defensive side and the neutral zone play. So uh, anyone who says Caulfield's a one dimensional player does not watch Wisconsin hockey. So, uh, and I'm going to say that right now. So if anyone comes on Twitter or Facebook saying how Caulfield's one dimensional, you're not watching the hockey games. And if you are, then you're just saying that just to be a dick because you really don't know what you're watching. That's really all I got to say. There's not much more to say about Caulfield. He's going to be an NHL player. How good of an NHL player he's going to be, time will tell. So I guess that does it for the show. Um I want to I want to thank everyone who's listened and our new listeners. Uh, we've been getting emails. We've got a great one here from uh, Pierre Lirette, who found us, who just found us and started listening to us. Loves the show, and you know, thank you very much for for listening and for sending us the comments, giving us some uh, some some comments on Mete, which we uh, which Treg totally attacked and uh, was just mean. Like you were just so mean, just so mean. Um, <clears throat> I pretty much defended Mete, but anyway, <laughs> I don't know. It's just habit. I just figure you're trying to stab Mete. Uh, Piad is from New Brunswick, so I'm sure that's a big plus for Matt. Two, two, definitely, definitely. Matt. You had something there, Matt? Yeah. So before we go, uh, we brought up the Hobie Baker Award. Uh, there is a Hobie Baker Award fan award or fan, uh, there's a fan aspect of that award. Um, it doesn't count for much, but it still counts. So you can head on over, check that out. And uh, Jordan Harris is up for it as well, another Canadian's prospect. And uh, so is Caulfield. So, you know, pick your poison there and um, and help these guys out. Um, obviously, you bring a Hobie Baker Award winner into an organization and it's going gonna, it's gonna to give them that much more of a boost. Uh, the other thing is I want to say uh, thanks for the, uh, for the birthday wishes, even though uh, – Obviously, I can't celebrate with you guys in a uh, in an official way, and you know, have a drink and everything. I still really appreciate it. Um, you know, pandemic-wise, et cetera, it's really hard to do so. So it's something we're going to have to put in the back burner and, and be able to get together in the future. Yeah, extra fireball shots for Matt when next time Absolutely. we see him. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, another shout out for uh, a new uh, a new follower, a new listener who. Uh, adores our show and is looking for more Habs follows uh, Stuart Habs Anglais on Twitter. Uh, thanks for the kind words. We appreciate, we appreciate them all. Um, we really do. I mean, who doesn't like to be complimented? 
that's just you know human nature but uh yeah interacting with you guys online uh talking about things that you guys like to talk about while we're here and sharing that with you that's what makes this fun so keep listening share this with everyone you know uh a show that started with just our mothers listening has now grown into maybe 12 13 people so let's just keep that up and, number one um, in lithuania <laughs> yeah so i'd like to thank everyone for listening all our listeners old and new and uh always remember if you are talking about it so are we <laughs> I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.